0: Praise the Lord. Well, I want you to open your Bible with me. I want you just to have a look with me. And we're going to look in the book of Acts, first of all. Then I want to go to Acts chapter 2. Then I want to go and have a look in Jeremiah chapter 1. I want to share with you something that the Lord just dropped into my heart. I want to stir you up tonight because we need to be stirred. How many of you know you need to be stirred? Well, yeah, there. That, that's no more said. Case closed. We need to be stirred because passivity and apathy is one of the prevailing spirits in our nation. So you actually have to make a decision. You'll arise against it. because there's a whole number of things push against us. We just have to make a decision that we will be a God type of people, passionate, intense, lovers of God, passionate in expression, vibrant and alive. Why don't you have a look with me in Acts chapter 2? And uh, I want to just pick up a, one scripture there and look at it. I want to just speak about the rising prophetic generation. And uh, I want us to look down... And there's probably lots could be said, but I'm just going to share the things I felt the Lord spoke to me about Three, at least three weapons that are being used against this generation arising into the call of God and some challenges that people today face. And uh, so let's have a look in Acts chapter 2. And of course it opens with the, the beginning of the church. And the church began with God moving and touching lives. Power of God coming upon people who had prayed, fasted, sought God for 10 days, and then suddenly God came. Power of God came and touched and swept over everyone, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost. They began to speak in tongues. That's how you get birthed into the realm of the Spirit. Holy Ghost comes on you, get filled with the Spirit, speak in tongues, and you've walked just through the door. But there's a great expanse out there to get hold of and get involved in, a huge lot of experience and and growth and enlargement we can get involved in and we need to grow in. A lot of people, get prayed, they get baptized in spirit, speak in tongues a few times and then shut down and become quiet. I think, well, you got through the door and now you're in the playing field and you won't even play. What's that all about? So there's a huge playing field called the realm of the spirit, the realm of the supernatural, the realm that God calls us to enter, explore, and you go from level to level to level to level. You grow and enlarge. Over this last two years, I've seen significant enlargement in what God has done through us as we've gone out into some of the nations. Huge enlargement. Amazing. Amazing. You know, just one meeting there, we talked about how Jesus heals the broken heart, got people to stand up, led them into an encounter with the Lord. Holy Ghost, come on them. Next thing you know, there's crying and tears and people getting delivered. You know, hundreds, all at once. And God spoke to all of them. I asked them with their hands up, who spoke to you when the power of God came on you all fell over? They said, well, everyone, pretty well everyone had their hand up. God spoke to them. So anyway, we go down here, and I want us to go down into verse uh, 14 And Peter standing up with the eleven raises his voice and said to them, Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, you need to listen to me. These aren't drunk. You see, when people are really full of the Holy Ghost, they laugh, they're free, they're loose. Being filled with the Holy Ghost, you're free spirited. When you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you're free-spirited. When you're not filled with the Holy Ghost, we well, have got demons controlling your life and negative thoughts controlling your life, your life is really quite miserable and flat and passive. Miserable life. That's not the one we're called to. They were filled with the Holy Ghost, spoken tongues, praised God, made such a noise, everyone came looking, see what was going on. Peter said, these guys aren't drunk. They thought they were drunk people. And then what he said, this is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel. It'll come to pass in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and maid servants, I'll pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. Let's just stop there. Now, you notice what the Bible tells us. He's talking here about the last days, which began on the day of Pentecost, and we're still in them, and it gets better as you go. And the Bible says that in the last days, God will pour His Spirit out, and you notice that everyone is included in that. Sons and daughters, young men, old men, everyone is included in the supernatural realm. Everyone is included in God's plan of flowing in the things of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12:7, Paul says, "To everyone who's given the gifts of the spirit, which is only one dimension of the spirit." So every believer, it's God's intention for you to be activated, flowing in the life of the spirit, enjoying the life of the spirit, learning how to minister God to other people. That's God's plan. That's God's heart. That's God's intention. Now, if God's intention, notice here, he said, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. So this is a vast outpouring of God, which causes people to begin to flow prophetically. Flow prophetically means they're flowing under inspiration of the Holy Ghost. This is not something that's kept in the church. This is something for the streets. This is something for the community. That wherever we go, the Spirit of God is able to arise upon us and we start to see things and hear things and speak things that touch people's lives. A little bit later in the year, we have a, a, a weekend of meetings coming up that will really impart and activate and stir and help people come to greater level. Some of the seminars I've been doing have been to help you come to a greater level. But you've got to walk with God. Don't settle for a low life. See, you know, when you use the term low life, people think of, you know, people, criminals and all that kind of thing. But there's a a highway. The Bible calls a highway. If there's a highway, there's a low way as well. The highway is a highway of holiness, no unclean thing there. And it says they walk in the presence of God. They walk in the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And you and I are called to walk a path of of cleanness, of holiness. We're called to walk in the presence of God, to enjoy His presence in our life, and to be ministers of God. God's heart is that His people be prophetic, that they carry dimensions of the Spirit. The prophetic dimensions bring a current word, bring people near to God. And so we see here, this is the heart of God. It's God's intention. Miracles, signs, wonders, every person, every believer starting to engage in the work of God. Wonderful. It's not for just in a church meeting, in a small group meeting. This is for wherever you are, the presence of God working through you to touch people. You have to see that. God's desire is that we be prophetic in our nature, in our flow, in our activity, and in what we do. That we are continually hearing what God is saying and doing, and we're working with Him. And that's not just to be kept, it's to be spread, to flow out to others. Now, I want to go and have a look in the book of Jeremiah, and I want to just pick up in a few verses there of Jeremiah, I want to pick up just a few aspects of this rising prophetic generation. Now there's a lot more than I can share tonight, but let will just start tonight and see what happens. Verse it says, and these are the words, verse one, the words of Jeremiah the son of Hilkiah, of the priests of who were in Ananoth, Anathoth, what's a hard name, Anathoth. In the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign, also came, came in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, till the end of the eleventh year. Now, let's just start there. What you, this gives us the setting of what he faced. Now, when you look, of course, you just see, well, there's Jeremiah. We know Jeremiah the prophet. What you've got to see is that this Jeremiah... Must have been a a young man. We know because he says, I'm just a youth. So he was either in his teenage or or very young 20s when God appointed him a prophet to nations. He was a young man. And not only that, he was birthed in a time, it says, under under, uh, Josiah. Now, Josiah was a man who was called by God. He was His destiny was prophesied by God hundreds of years before that a man named Josiah would arise. And Josiah was an apostolic reformer. Josiah was a man who was sent by God. He was a man sent to restructure, rebuild, to change the whole spiritual and social and financial and economic and political climate of his day. So Josiah was an apostolic reformer, and it's in the days of this apostolic reformer that Jeremiah is born, and he has to carry a prophetic ministry to the nation at that time to work alongside Josiah, to work in harmony with him, to bring about a change in the national climate, the whole culture, to bring a shift in the culture of the day. When you read the story of Josiah, Josiah was eight when he came up to the throne, and this is the 11th year. So Josiah the king is 21, and, and Jeremiah is virtually of a similar kind of age, late teens or early 20. So, there are, so you've got a king who's 21, And this king at 21 is turning the nation upside down. He's decided, I'm sick of idolatry. We're sick of witchcraft. We're sick of wizards. We're sick of all of these things. I have a destiny. says of Josiah, he walked after his father, David. Well, David wasn't his father. Someone else was. His his natural father was a great sinner, a backslidden man, an idol worshiper, a a Satanist, got involved in in, uh, sacrificing children. And yet Josiah made a decision in his generation, he would walk differently. That no matter what was in the culture, He would walk differently and change the culture. All over the world, God is speaking about shifting the culture, changing the climate, changing the nation, changing what is around us. And it requires the apostolic and the prophetic anointings flowing together to bring this about. Jesus spoke in the New Testament. Paul wrote about the church being built, established, and advancing on the ministries of the apostle, who was a sent one called to change structures and orders and to pioneer, to break new ground, to shift existing powers. The prophetic is to confront some of the things that are in the culture, to bring people and call them near to God. So together, the prophetic and the apostolic working to shift what's going on inside the culture. And so Jeremiah is raised up. So he was a prophetic generation raised when God had an apostolic reformer going. Anyone who's got their ears or wits about them is aware that right through the world, God is speaking about apostolic reformation, about the change of the church from being pastoral in its thinking. We just gather in a small crowd and we like our friends and mates and we pray together and enjoy God and have fellowship. And then we just live our life the way we used to live it before. No, he's talking about something different. He's talking about the church shifting and becoming a people who are mission-minded, a people of purpose, people who have a sense, I'm called to make a difference. I'm called to make a change. And we saw in the New Testament how the Bible prophesies this generation will carry a prophetic anointing, the ability to touch the presence of God, hear the presence of God, engage the supernatural, and yet begin to speak with authority to shift things. And so Jeremiah is in a time like that. He's in a time of apostolic reformation. And the word of the Lord came to him, verse 4. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, our Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I am a youth. Don't say, I'm too young. I have to wait till I'm older before God can work through me. Don't say, I'm too young. For you shall go to all to whom I send you. Whatever I command you, you'll speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand, touched my mouth, and said, Behold, I put you my words in your mouth. See, I set you this day over nations and over kingdoms. To root out, pull down, destroy, and throw down. That's one aspect of it. Engaging the prophetic, uh, engaging the, the demonic dimension and tearing it down, and then bringing forth God's word, God's order, God's way. We'll just stop just there and just start to pick up a few things. Now you notice there, he says, I'm just a youth. He was a very, very young man. And God has spoken and said, before you were born, before you were actually shaped in the womb, I knew you. And we understand when you look at scriptures like that. For example, in Josiah, hundreds of years before Josiah was born, God said there's going to come a king who will arise called Josiah, and that altar he's going to tear down, and the bones of all these people who worshipped on it today, they're going to all be burned on there. So God sees you long before you were ever thought of by anyone. God knew you before you were ever formed. God knew you before you ever entered the world. God knew what century you'd be born into. He knew what nation you'd be born into, what, what uh, city you'd be born into, what kind of culture you'd be born into, what na- an ethnic nationality you'd be born into. He knew your family background. He knew everything about you. And he had a purpose for your life in this generation. Now you notice it, so he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. For you were born, I already in my plan had set you apart that you might be a prophet to nations. So God already has planned ahead of us turning up what we're going to be and what we're called to do. Our, our responsibility is to connect with God personally and begin to respond to the call of God and the purpose of God that he's called us to. He knows what he's called you to. Your role is to respond to it. Now, in this generation that we're in right now, there are three major weapons that are arising against this generation to destroy the generation, so it cannot be prophetic and cannot actually come into the call of God in it. Three weapons that are being used, and this, these weapons are used widespread. Here's the first one. First one's a border abortion. Abortion. will World- All through the Western world and now right through into various other parts of the world, abortion is used as a weapon. Notice what God said, before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. Now, abortion, it begins with a lie that this thing that's in the womb is not a person. It's just a thing. And no woman will have an abortion unless she first agrees with the lie. And I have found as we've ministered to people who've had abortions, we had one lady there, she'd had nine Unbelievable, nine potential children, nine people with a destiny, and it was, it was cut off by a spirit of murder, by someone who believed a lie. We prayed for one lady, she, it, was, it was tragic, she, she bought, we, we asked that the lady was invited to come in and bring her son, son's 14, he was brought in a chair, wheelchair, and he's severely handicapped. And we found out as we inquired a little bit that this lady had had a girl. And they wanted a son. So the next two pregnancies, they aborted two beautiful girls. And when they had the son, the son had a problem. And now they have the situation of heartache and sorrow all their lives and challenge to face the consequences of what they have done. Heartbreaking, really. But in the presence of God, as the boy was manifesting a bit as I came over to pray for him, and he was very agitated when he was born in the room. But when the presence of God filled the room, he settled down, his spirit calmed. He could feel the spirit of God. He's still a person, even though his frame and mental capacity was limited. So one of the things that is happening these days, and you find it at school, young people have an abortion, you know, without even their parents knowing about it. Education systems so corrupt that it's allowing such things to happen. Tragic. Spirit of murder released. I remember years ago, and uh, I, I, I saw, actually it was in Dannyville. When I was in Dannyville, we got a little video clip from, uh, from the, who was it, from Pro-Life. It was called The Silent Scream. I don't know if any of you have ever seen it at all. And uh, it's a little wee video clip, and uh, it was uh, put together by an abortionist. And he wanted to prove once and for all that all these pro-lifers were wrong. And so what he did was, in those days, it was early, they were just learning about ultra-scanning. And so he put the ultra on a woman as he he, uh, did an abortion upon her. And they took a video of the response or what happened in the womb as they did the abortion. And as they did the abortion, I won't describe it because I cried and cried and cried when I saw it. But the child knew what was happening and retreated to the far part of the womb away from the threatening danger and then opens its mouth in a scream that's silent and can't be heard before it died. See, so this is a spirit that's released into the last days, and it's a spirit that comes against this generation. It's coming to destroy an emerging prophetic generation. It's coming to destroy. You have to know where you stand on such issues and be willing to come alongside people, speak the truth, and help support them. I have seen people break down and weep and weep and weep when we ask them to listen to God and let God tell them what their child was that they destroyed. And the, the grief and, the, and the, the sudden breaking of the lies, people realized what had happened. And God said that was a son, that was a daughter. And so we need to know where we stand on that kind of deal. So that's one of the things. Another thing that's coming into, this, into the nations and into the West, particularly in different parts of the world, is moral and family breakdown. It is a weapon that is being used to literally destroy a generation because when, it, when you, a, a stable family, a stable family is one of the greatest assets a nation can have. The assets of nation are a people. And when the people are stable and godly and walk upright, the nation becomes strong. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a folly or foolishness to any people. It's a reproach. And so, uh, so you, you see here that to build a strong nation, you've got to build strong marriages and strong families. And you build them on the Word of God. You build them on the principles of the Word of God. So if the foundations be taken away, what can the righteous do? If the foundations of a covenantal relationship, no sex before marriage, a covenantal relationship that lasts for life and you work out your issues and your problems, if that is taken away, what are you left with? You're left with a moral and, fa- and relational disaster. And you make no mistake about it, that the breakdown, the moral breakdown, abandonment of biblical principles to live by, the abandonment of godly principles for marriage and family, the increase of permissiveness around sexual promiscuity and around lesbianism and homosexuality, all of these things, they lead to the decay and breakdown of a generation. And the generation that God is wanting to bring forth and call forth and nurture in a stable family, come forth into broken family life and have horrendous problems to get over, huge challenges to have to try and break through that they don't repeat the same things. You come up in a good family. It's not that everything goes well. You still have your troubles, your challenges, and your difficulties, but you've got a stable environment. You've got moral values. You've got principles that can guide you and keep you steady in life. But when you haven't got that, what have you got to get you going forward? What have you got? You've actually got to repair the damage that was done. You need God's healing love and healing power, biblical principles. We need godly examples of men and women that will stand up for what's right and walk when what's right. And so there's a spirit comes again. It's a spirit of deception. So you've got a spirit of murder coming to destroy people through abortion in this generation. A spirit of deception to take away moral values and the principles that would build a great marriage, a great family. Young people, you hold fast to what God's Word says. God's Word is true. God's Word brings blessing in your life. It may look hard and difficult at the beginning, but at the end, there's a legacy and a fruit of it you will never regret. The other way looks easy at the beginning, but I tell you, there's a hardship that no one ever shows you. You never see it on the media. You'll never see it, but when you look into broken lives, you realize what a mess that people can get into. After They've had several relationships, and they can't build anything stable and solid. It's a challenge in our generation, so you need to know what you believe and why you believe it. Listen, You think about this. If you want to build a good marriage, the principles of God work. The Word of God works. You try and build a marriage, and you allow uh, lust in that marriage. Is that going to be a great marriage? I don't think so, because lust doesn't work. Inherently, it doesn't work. Even in leadership, national, interesting, dishonesty. You try and build a marriage with dishonesty, dishonesty doesn't work. Truth works. Purity works. It works. It's good. It's how God designed it. It's a principle of the kingdom. It works. You don't have to be religious about it. You don't have to be Bible bashing about it. It just works. See? Purity. You, You imagine a person ravening with lust, and they begin to have no boundaries about what they'll do with that lust. Their family's unsafe. It doesn't work. But purity works. Why would we embarrass to stand up when the things of God actually work? need to have a great boldness that these things work. You think about what works. I tell you what works, the principles of God's Word work. You think about building a great business. You've got to have a great and excellent spirit of service. You serve. Serving works. Serving helps build a good business. But laziness and poor quality service and selfishness doesn't build anything. Think about a marriage you love and serve one another? Or is there lust and dishonesty and and selfishness? You can't build it on selfishness. You build it on a serving heart. God's Word works. Why would we be embarrassed about it? Why would we be silent about it when it works? It works. It's how God designed life to work. Lying doesn't work. Honesty does. Come on, think about that. So people need to be confident the things of God work. What the world does is it tries to shame you that you're somehow a religious freak and a nutter and that you're just some other kind of weird person or fundamental or whatever. Listen, it works. It works. The Word of God works. Don't be embarrassed about the Word of God. It actually works in life. People don't know how to make Word work, life work. The Word of God works. When I ran my life without the Word of God, it didn't work. Once I started to change, I found things worked. We've got to be confident that God's ways work. And so in a generation that's coming under a major attack by moral and family breakdown, you've got to go back into biblical principles of how to build a marriage, how to build a family, and be unashamed because it works. And if you've got a great marriage and you've got a great family, you're a success without doing anything else. Think about that. Think about that. People can have all the money in the world, but if their character falls, if they can't hold a marriage and family together, what are they like? They're lacking something. They're missing something. Have a look in recently in, in, uh, in the government in, uh, in uh, England. Oh, that's been a great one. Just outright hypocrisy. These people who are in leadership roles in the nation, and there they are. They're milking the system and stealing money from the taxpayer. Even the highest one in the house, Speaker of the House, was found out. False claims for expenses. So what happens? Well, he said, well, it's not much. Listen, it cost him his job. And that hasn't happened since the 1600s. Now, when you look at that, you've got to realize, actually, honesty works. Dishonesty doesn't. They only, only get away with stuff for a season. Then it catches up, and then you're lost. These guys trying to pay back the money and cover up so they don't lose their reputation? What hypocrisy. Should never have taken it in the beginning, and now they found out they should step down. See, dishonesty doesn't work, and people don't want you to have a dishonest life. You're going to lead people... And build a great life, a good moral life, and build a great family life. You develop credibility. Notice here's another, one that's, another weapon that's used against this rising generation is the area of electronic media. Electronic media is a great blessing, a wonderful invention, a wonderful, amazing thing, and yet in the midst of it, it's one of the major weapons to destroy a generation. Because if you have an issue of uh, if, a ch- if a child survives an abortion, they usually suffer with spirits of murder and rejection around them. Got to get them delivered because they're insecure. If a child grows up in a broken family background, they're looking for something to make them feel better, they just get set up to go into the electronic media. So they go in there and pornography and these games, they open doorways to demons like we shared this morning. Spirits come in. Spirits of perversion comes in through the doorway of pornography. A spirit of sorcery comes in through some of the games that young people play on the Internet today. I've just been in Singapore and delivered hundreds of them from a spirit of sorcery. Here they are in Bible school, worshiping God, serving God, and yet they're engaging with a spirit of sorcery. How can you come forth to change a generation if there's so much of this kind of stuff going on in your life? Those are the things we're called to tear down and to build up godly foundations. So you have a generation today that faces a vast array of weapons coming against them. It needs prayerful people to stand up and be willing to speak into a younger generation and call them forth. Now, younger doesn't mean necessarily just young age. It means what the people God is birthing in this hour into His kingdom. They're all having to rise up. They take our place. They've got to carry the ministry of the Holy Ghost and the Word of God into the culture to change it. Okay, so there's a three-way. I want you to have a look in here, some challenges that come. Do not say, I am a youth, for I shall send you, to, for I, you shall go to all that I send you. And whatever I command you will speak. And don't be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. So there's challenges this arising generation face, because there are this assault upon them. The first one's insecurity. Notice what he said, I'm just a youth. I'm too young to do this. I'm too young. I'm just young. I'm just a young believer. Well, as a young believer, didn't stop God using me. I saw him not use a lot of older believers very much, but I saw him use me. And I had something they didn't have. I had the passion, fire, and dedication to do something for the Lord. You don't have to be around and being a believer for a long time. You just have to be willing to serve God, willing to give it your best, willing to give Him 100%, willing to seek the kingdom of God first. You need to put God first in your life and maintain your passion for Him. You'll be amazed how God can use you. But if you're half-hearted, lukewarm, have lost your passion and fire and are going through the motions, what kind of overflow and abundance of God is there going to be? So he said, we need to be fired up. So he says, ah, Lord God, I cannot speak. I am a youth. So one of the issues that comes up is the issue of insecurity. Well, I'm young or I, I sort of, you know, I'm just unsure of myself. Well, you know, interestingly enough, lots of people have that. Even Timothy, who was probably about 30, had a similar problem. And Paul gave him a remedy. And this is what he said to him in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. He said, don't let anyone despise your youth, but become a godly example by your lifestyle. The remedy for insecurity is to experience the love of Jesus Christ by revelation and then to build a godly character. You've got to build a godly character. Don't say, I'm just a young person. Be a godly young person. Don't say I'm a new believer. I'm a passionate, committed, godly new believer. And I'm on a journey of growing in my character to be an example. If you're going to change a nation, you have to set an example. Be an example in purity, an example in spirit, an example in faith, an example in love. That's what Paul told Timothy. Don't Don't let anyone talk down to you because you're a young believer. Don't let anyone talk down to you because you're a young person. Why did he tell him that? Because people were looking down on him because he was so young. But God raised him up as a bishop. All over the world, God's raising up young people to do great things for God. Great things for God. Because they dare to believe and they won't despise their youth. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. This is the time when you're young in the Lord. Listen, and if you're, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70, well, still, you're just still young in the Lord, great stuff, just go for it. Get stirred up, get on fire, and passionately serve the rest of your days out. Hey, young. So the first thing's insecurity. The remedy for insecurity is experiencing the love of God and growing in character to become like Jesus Christ. Become an example. Purpose, you'll become an example. So if you don't determine to be an example in how you live your life, All your prophetic ministry is undermined. So all of the supernatural, you think about the men that have fallen over the years. I've seen heaps of them. And the problem was not the gifting of God or the anointing of God or the call of God. The problem was the character they never developed. The insecurity and the needing to find an outlet somewhere led them into money. Gold, gals, and glory, that's what they say. You know, it's either one of these is going to get you if you don't get yourself right. The gold or the girls or the glory. People get defiled by the lust for money, lust for sex, or lust for glory. To, to look good be important. But you find your security in God. You begin to build an intimacy with God, a purpose that you'll become Christ-like and set an example of how to live as a godly person. That's what you've got to do. And notice the other thing. So don't say, I'm a youth. Just get busy just becoming a godly person and an example. I'd give me, a, give me a young person on fire for God that's growing in their character over anyone else, anytime. Because they, they will then grow into the destiny of God. But someone who's lost the fire passion need to get it back again. Okay, just a couple of things and we'll finish. Here's the next thing that he faced was a challenge of inadequacy. You shall go to everyone I send you. Felt inadequate. Quite inadequate for the task. It's a big task. That's so why I said I can't do it. One, one thing is I'm too young. But God said, don't despise your youth. Just become an example. Grow. And then inadequacy. Inadequacy is a terrible thing. We feel like we're not good enough. Feel I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. Never stop me. Never even thought about not knowing enough. I just thought, let's go, Let's do something. Inadequacy. But there's a remedy for being inadequate. The Bible says, who is sufficient for these things? Our sufficiency is of God. So God wants you to, to do something. And Timothy faced the same thing. You know what Paul said to him in 2 Timothy 2.15? 2, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman rightly dividing the word of truth. You know what the remedy to inadequacy is? Get, put your head down and learn something. Get studying and preparing. Do some preparation. Today you're inadequate, but study today gets you ready for your opportunity tomorrow. So don't stay in this place of inadequacy. Make a decision that you'll study, prepare today, and when your time comes, you're ready to go through it. Most people awaken for their lucky break. Forget it. When it comes, you won't be ready. Today's the day you prepare, and then you'll find after your season, then you become an overnight success. Joseph became an overnight success after 13 years. 13 years of preparation, 13 years of working the Word of God in his life, and then he touched a nation. Well, don't you think that was worthwhile in that 13 years? Changed the whole economic system of his day. How about that? Revolutionized it. Turned over the whole market economy. And he earned, get this, he earned his unsaved boss mega millions You see, we find that a bit of a hard one to take, don't we? See, Christians have got a funny thing about God. But if you think what Joseph did, Joseph served an unsaved man. He was in Egypt. Egypt, we all know, speaks of the world or an unsaved realm. But you know, Joseph served in the world. He served in the marketplace. He served an unsaved man and made him the wealthiest man in the world in his day. By the time Joseph had finished managing the pharaoh's business, the pharaoh owned everything, all the land of Egypt, all the cattle, all the houses, all the property, and all the money. He had it all. And did Joseph get blessed? Of course. He was a very wealthy man too. Some of it rubs off on the way when you bless others. What it's hard for Christians to believe is that God wants to use you to bless an unsafe person. Think about that in your workplace, in your school, to help them. To let them, because you are blessed by God, that they become blessed as well. Because you're working for them. That's why I hate it when I hear people complain of how Christians perform at work. It just actually is a reproach on the name of the Lord. It's taking the Lord's name in vain. Because you say you're a Christian and yet you turn people off God. How can that be good for the kingdom of God? And why? It's all to do with what's in your character. And how you go. And finally, the third thing is intimidation. He said, Don't be afraid of their faces. Because clearly, he had an issue of insecurity. Don't say, I'm a youth. And he said, I'll tell you what I tell you you're going to say. So, notice he says, Don't be afraid of their faces. So he was intimidated. Well, Paul, uh, Timothy had the same problem because Paul had to write to him. Uh, Paul, he said, Timothy, stir up the gift of God because God's not giving you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. So, the answer to fear and intimidation and feeling overwhelmed by it all is to stir the gift of God inside you till faith rises in you. Begin to become bold. Break through the spirit of fear. What an amazing thing. So, this is what Jeremiah did. He had all of those things gone from him. Then God touched him. He had the touch of God and he got revelation because God says, See, look at where I've set you, positioned you to operate. So, we need to see then we can overcome insecurity, by an encounter with God, by building our character become Christ-like. We can overcome inadequacy by planning, studying, preparation, finding the Word of God so we've got something to speak. And thirdly, we can overcome the whole area uh, of intimidation by stirring the gifts of God in our life, becoming bold. And as we do these things, we position ourselves to be touched by God in a different way and to see things we've never seen before. God wants you to see His call in your life. He wants you to see His positioning for you. He wants you to see how He's positioned you in the community to make a difference. You have to learn to speak the Word of God into that. Jeremiah spoke the Word of God, and as a result of what he spoke, God was able to initiate in the earth angelic changes in governments, nations, and able to restore and bring back the nation of Israel and and Judah. Listen, how does that work out for us? Wherever you are in the community, God calls you to arise in your spirit and become a spokesman, a person releasing the Word of God into the business, releasing it into education, releasing it into media, releasing it wherever you are speaking and tearing down the demonic powers, declaring the word of God and being an example, a living example of someone carrying the life of God. And that kind of person makes a difference. Interesting thing is he served under two kings, two administrations. One was godly and was a reformer. The other was a backslider. And yet Jeremiah remained faithful to the call of God in the midst of it all. I wonder if you're such a person. Of course you are. You're part of this generation, prophetic generation. You've just got to decide what will it take to stop you. Obviously not abortion because you're here. Obviously not a broken family because you're here. Obviously not some of the other things you are here, but whether they're hooked into you, I don't know. you have got to make a decision whether you'll arise and begin to build the kind of life that can make you the man God wants to use, the woman God wants to use. He's already written it in the heaven. In the 21st century, this person will be there in this place called New Zealand in the area of Hawke's Bay and I have a work for them to do. It's your job to find the work. It's your job to do the preparation. It's your job to build intimacy and grow your character. It's your job to do the study and the preparation. It's your job to actually arise above intimidation. That's your responsibility. It's God's part to say I'm with you, to touch you and put words in your mouth and anoint you and set you in a place where you can be effective. He does that. You've got to do your bit. And together we can do something. Together we can corporately rise up and speak and say and do things. And individually you can do something too.